Cage, 3650, Physiology of Exercise, Lecture, Tuesday, September 22nd, Carbohydrate Manipulation. Uh, we have been talking about fuel utilization. What are the three nutrients that we use for carbohydrates, fats, and proteins? Okay. Proteins, amino acid metabolism. Can the body metabolize amino acids? Yes. Can the body metabolize amino acids? Yes. Does the body prefer to metabolize amino acids? Why not? Because it's what? Yeah, so the conditions that you would use amino acid metabolism would be when you are starving, depleted, kind of extreme sorts of conditions, right? Why does the body prefer not to use amino acids? What's the one? The one nitrogen, okay? Got to get rid of that nitrogen or that amino group, okay? So the body prefers not to use amino acids. Also, what do we typically use amino acids or proteins for in the body? Do we, do we, do we store it like we do carbohydrate or fat? No. no. What do we do? What do we use amino acids or proteins for? Pardon? It could be DNA. It could be what other things? Enzymes. Could be what else? Good. I'm glad you recognize that. <laughs> All right. So we prefer to build things with amino acids, right? We build proteins, we build structures, we build uh, uh, enzymes, functional things with amino acids, so we prefer not to break them down and use them for fuel, okay? Uh, fats, does fat make a good fuel source? Yes. Why? Yeah, the answer is yes, why? High yield of ATP, it's very energy dense, okay? Very energy dense. As an example, for every gram of fat that you eat, you can derive nine kilocalories of energy. How many of y'all are taking the sports nutrition class or the, the or have taken it? Okay, you can get nine kilocalories of energy from each gram of fat. How many calories or kilocalories of energy do you get from protein or carbohydrate? Four. Okay, so fat is very energy dense as a food and as a fuel for activity. When does the body most likely use fat as a fuel? At rest and when else? Do we use it during exercise? Yes. Long duration and what's the other thing that goes with long duration? Low intensity. Okay. Terrific fuel. Do you have lots of it stored in the body? Lots. Okay. Even somebody who is pretty lean has probably 75 or 100,000 calories of fat energy stored in their body. Okay. So it's it's very um, energy dense, and you've got a lot of it in the body. So what's the downside? Why is fat not the perfect fuel then? It takes too long to metabolize. You can't do it fast enough under what conditions? High intensity. That's still endurance type activity, but like running at a race pace, you can't metabolize fat fast enough to keep up. Okay? So, bless you or whatever that was. <laughs> 
Okay, so that brings us back to carbohydrates. All right, so what we're going to talk about today is looking at carbohydrate metabolism. Now, if we look at where carbohydrate is in the body, I've mentioned this before, but here it is on a slide for you. We've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 grams or about 1,600 calories of carbohydrate stored in the body in our muscles as glycogen. We've got about 90 grams or about 360 calories stored in our body as liver glycogen. Okay? This is presuming you've eaten relatively recently um, and haven't been starving for a long period of time. You've got somewhere in the neighborhood of about 6 grams or about 24 calories stored in the body uh, uh, as glucose that's floating around in the blood as blood glucose. Okay? So you add all this up. Uh, it, it comes to roughly around 2,000 calories of carbohydrate energy stored in the body. How many calories are fat? 100,000. 2,000. Okay? So, lots more fat energy stored, but there's a problem in using it at higher intensities of exercise. Alright, here's our scheme again. Do we need to hold you upside down so you can drink out of your, your water bottle? Okay. Alright, so we, we eat carbohydrate foods. They're digested and absorbed in our gastrointestinal tract, in our stomach and small intestine, uh, taken up uh, as glucose by the liver, either stored as glycogen or released on as blood glucose. Body circulates glucose around the body where different tissues like your brain can take it up and use it for energy, or tissues like muscle can take it up and store it as glycogen. Okay, so if you're resting, you've just eaten lunch, you're resting, your liver's going to store glucose as glycogen, and your muscles are going to store glucose as glycogen. Then in a couple of hours when we get done with class and you decide to go work out and you start exercising, then you can start using the glucose in your muscle, you can start breaking down glycogen and using it in the muscle. If your blood glucose falls, your liver can break down glycogen, dump that glucose into the blood to keep your blood glucose up. Okay? Now, the problem comes when we exercise for long periods of time. Marathon running. The longer you run, the more glycogen you use in the muscle eventually that glycogen in the muscle is getting, going to get down to very, very low levels. It doesn't ever go down completely to zero, like the gas tank in your car, okay? but it'll go down pretty low. So when muscle glycogen is no longer available for this muscle to use to oxidize, then we've got to rely on glucose. Okay, so where are we going to get this glucose? If we don't have anything in the muscle left, where are we going to get the glucose? From the blood. Okay, so the more you pull glucose out of the blood and metabolize it, what happens to blood glucose concentration? It goes down. Okay, when blood glucose concentration goes down, there's a feedback signal to the liver to do what? To break down glycogen to glucose and dump it out into the blood. Okay, well if you keep doing this, Eventually, at some point, our liver glycogen is going to go very low. We're not going to have glycogen in the liver to be able to ship it out there to keep blood glucose up. Now, your liver can make glucose. Do you remember the term gluco? Yeah. 
neogenesis, your liver can make glucose. What's one of the three carbon compounds your liver can make glucose out of? Come on, somebody. A three carbon compound your liver can make glucose out of. Say it. Pyruvate. Okay, lactate. Yes, all right. Now, the thing is, your liver can't make the glucose fast enough. If you're running a marathon, your liver's cranking away trying to make glucose, but it can't do it fast enough. So what happens to blood glucose if you keep running? It starts to fall. Okay? You eventually can get to a point where your muscle glycogen is essentially depleted, your liver glycogen is essentially depleted, your blood glucose starts to fall, and some people actually will get hypoglycemic. What are the symptoms, the physical symptoms that are associated with hypoglycemia? Dizziness, tired, fatigue, shaky, okay? How many of you have done uh, a long endurance type exercise where you, what, what are the terms when you get to the point where you get very exhausted and you're tired, you're fatigued, you're kind of shaky, you're really hungry? Hit the wall? Yeah. In cycling they call it bonking, okay? So this is what happens with prolonged endurance exercise. So, all right, so that's blood glucose going down. So, muscle glycogen depletion, reduced blood glucose, maybe to the actual hypoglycemic levels, essentially results in fatigue, right? And our performance starts to decline. Uh, here's an example of muscle glycogen where they had uh, these uh, research, and this has been known since the 60s. Uh, when they started doing this muscle biopsy technique to figure out what's going on in the muscle during exercise. So here we start with muscle glucose up here, or muscle glycogen. After 15 minutes it's dropped, after 30 minutes more, after 45, after 60 minutes we get this big decline in muscle glycogen. Okay, And after the 60 minutes these cyclists got back on the bike and they were fatigued, they couldn't, they couldn't keep going. Um, what this tells us is how important carbohydrate stores are to exercise performance, particularly this endurance, prolonged, anything beyond about 60 minutes or so. Okay? Our carbohydrate stores are very important. So what we can do is we can manipulate our carbohydrate uh, utilization so we can try to improve performance. These are some of the ergogenic strategies that are, have clearly and repeatedly been shown over and over again to be very effective. Okay, to be very effective. So what we want to do is we want to look at uh, what we do about the carbohydrate content of our diet uh, when the, this endurance athlete is training. We want to talk about how we can maximize our carbohydrate stores before we do this long training run or, or uh, event or before uh, a competitive event. We want to look at ingesting carbohydrate right before, like the meal that we're going to have, our, our last meal. And we want to look at what we can do to do something about carbohydrate uh, during the activity itself. And then what we do afterwards, if we want to replenish fairly quickly um, if we've got repeated exercise bouts to see how we do there. So this is the, the pattern we're going to go through. Okay. 
Here's what happens with an endurance athlete that's training every day that does not eat enough carbohydrate. They start off with, and these were athletes that ran 10 miles a day uh, for three straight days. They were eating what was considered to be at the time the typical American diet, which means they were getting about 50% of their intake from carbohydrate, um, about 35% of their intake from fat, and about 15% from protein. They start their run here, and when they finish their run, their muscle glycogen has gone down. In the, in the uh, succeeding day, they ate this normal American diet, and their carbohydrate, their muscle glycogen stores came up to here. They ran 10 miles again, it went down, and in the preceding day, e even though they ate, uh, their glycogen stores didn't go up very much, if at all, and then they went down again to here. So for the training endurance athlete, what this tells us is it may not be one single event, it may be the subsequent days of training, if they're not getting adequate uh, carbohydrate, that cause their glycogen stores to go down. And if you look on the third day, they're starting their exercise with lower muscle glycogen levels than they finished with, uh, than they finished the 10 mile run with on the first day. Okay? So, if this athlete, athlete is training, they're not getting adequate carbohydrate, it may not affect them all that much on these days because they were actually able to finish the 10 mile run okay. But what happens on the fourth or the fifth or the sixth day when they want to do a 10 mile run or they want to do a high quality event or they're going to run some kind of race? What happens out here? It drops and it, is their performance likely to be impaired by having low glycogen stores? Most likely. Okay, so we want to make sure these athletes are eating enough carbohydrate every day. Rebecca. If they were doing like higher intensity things and it got like down to like zero, mm -hmm. you start like using protein? You, you, what you have to do is if your, if your carbohydrate stores are really low, what you have to do is you have to switch then to predominantly fat and to some amino acid metabolism. And because we can't metabolize those fast enough, their exercise intensity is impaired. They have to slow down. Okay? So that's one of the problems is if they want to do higher quality work, you know, intervals or whatever over here on one of these days, their, their workout is going to be impaired because they're carbohydrate depleted. Okay? And you can, you can still exercise. You can depend on fat, but you've got to do it at a, at a lower pace. So the... the the quality of their training declines because they don't have adequate carbohydrate stores. So, how much carbohydrate do you need to eat to make sure that you, after a 10 mile run, you can get back up to where you need to be? Uh, this was a study that uh, uh, we did when I was a, a doctoral student at Ohio State where we took uh, cyclists and runners and we had them come in the lab and train every day for a week. And we fed them either a moderate carbohydrate content diet or a high carbohydrate content diet. These were well-trained cyclists, well-trained runners, well-trained triathletes. And we had them doing about 90-minute workouts every day for seven straight days. When they got the moderate carbohydrate diet, their glycogens went down and down and down. Okay, that wasn't adequate. When we fed them what we described as the high-carbohydrate diet, they were actually able to replace their muscle glycogen. Okay? So they didn't become depleted. They actually were able to uh, uh, retain their glycogen. Well, how much was that? 
it was 10 grams of carbohydrate for every kilogram of their body weight every day. Now, let's, let's do the math on this a little bit. The average size of these subjects was 75 kilograms. So how many grams of carbohydrate is that? 750 grams of carbohydrate. How many calories do you get from every gram of carbohydrate? Four. That's 3,000 calories just in carbohydrate. Okay? This probably represents the upper limit. Okay? Because these were well-trained endurance athletes, but they were training at very high levels. They were putting in an hour and a half of fairly intense aerobic exercise on the treadmill or on the stationary bike every day. Okay, so this probably represents the upper limit. It's a lot of carbohydrate. Uh, these athletes were eating probably close to 5,000 calories a day. Okay, three, about 3,000 calories was carbohydrate. Now, it's hard to eat that much food. Okay, 750 grams of carbohydrate I figured out some, one time is something like uh, um, 28 potatoes. It's, it, it's like 54 bananas. All right, so, <laughs> yeah, here, speak into the microphone. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of carbohydrate. Okay, so what these athletes have to do is they have to make sure that they uh, pay attention to their diet and eat good and lots of sources of carbohydrate, but it's also so much carbohydrate that a lot of these athletes have to use supplements. Okay, they have to use products like uh, Gator Load or other liquid carbohydrate supplements that are concentrated carbohydrates to get that much carb in them. Okay, now not, not everybody needs to do this. These are well-trained athletes training at very high levels. Okay, if you're looking at, you know, so you back down from this to maybe eight grams per kilogram or seven or six grams per kilogram depending on the individual's training. Okay, now notice it's per kilogram of body weight. So as people are different sizes, if you've got a 100-pound female marathoner versus a 160-pound male runner, okay, it's, it, they're going to get a correct proportional amount because we've had it based on their body weight. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. Um, now... The amount of muscle glycogen that you've got stored in your body at the time that you start the exercise makes a big difference. Okay, this is one of the early studies that showed us this. This is exercise time. They put people on a cycle ergometer, they gave them some good incentives, and they said, pedal at this intensity for as long as you can. What they did is they manipulated their diet, though, for the six days beforehand. Um, and in one case, they gave them lots of fat, and lots of protein and very little carbohydrate. And when you do that, you're not getting carbohydrate in your diet, so your muscle glycogen levels are real low. And when they're real low and you get on a, and do some kind of endurance task like this, you can't do it for very long. When you get kind of a moderate diet where you get some carbohydrate, your muscle glycogen levels are a little bit higher and you can go a little bit longer. 
When you do some manipulations where you really crank up the amount of muscle glycogen and you get really high muscle glycogen levels, you can go for much longer periods of time. With creatine loading and supplementation, we use that as an ergogenic strategy by packing more of it in to try to get more creatine phosphate in the muscle, right? And was that effective? To some degree for certain athletes. This is the same strategy except we're trying to pack in more of the muscle glycogen fuel source, okay? So how do we do it? This is what's referred to as the classical carbohydrate loading, where we've got uh, uh, six days of diet and exercise manipulation, and on the seventh day, we've got some kind of race or um, event or really long, hard workout or something like that. Here's the classical method. For three days, they, they do exhaustive exercise. They eat almost nothing but fat and protein in their diet for three days, and then they do another exhaustive exercise bout right here. Okay? So, exhaustive muscle glycogen depleting exercise, nothing but fat and protein for three days, and then another exhaustive muscle glycogen depleting exercise. Then they rest and they pack in the carbs. And guess what? It works. You get big increases in muscle glycogen. Okay? Uh, a typical muscle glycogen level is around, for an athlete, endurance athlete, is probably around uh, 130, 140. With this strategy, on average, they went up to about 220. So they almost doubled their muscle glycogen. Okay? Which is great. But what's the problem with this strategy for an athlete training for some kind of important race? How much fun is this part right here? Not a whole lot of fun. Exhaustive exercise, nothing but fat and protein for, a couple, for three days, and more exhaustive exercise. Not a lot of fun. So there's another strategy, kind of a modified version of this, which I think um, works more like how an athlete prepares for an event anyway. Uh, same time frame, same event down here. In this case, in the first three days, they do a long run and then two moderate runs. During the time period where they're exercising more, they've just reduced their carbohydrate intake a little bit to kind of a moderate intake diet. Then they continue this taper where they reduce their exercise down more and rest the day before and they crank up their carbohydrate intake. And in this study, they went up to about 215 instead of 220 or 225. So they got close, but without the, you know, without the more severe manipulations. So this is probably something pretty reasonable for athletes to do when they're trying to maximize their muscle glycogen stores. Okay? Now, if you've got lots of muscle glycogen and you do, you're doing aerobic type exercise, how long is it going to take to get really low levels? How long is it going to take for that? If you've got a completely full muscle glycogen tank, how long before you get depleted if you're racing? Is it 30 minutes? 45 minutes? An hour? It's probably an hour and a half or longer. So do we need to do this strategy if you're running a 10K? No. 
Now, in fact, studies show that muscle glycogen manipulation like this doesn't really help much for shorter races. This is for events that are going to be 90 minutes or longer. Okay? Half marathon, marathon, longer events. Triathlons, you know, uh, um, uh, I used to show my age. I used to call them Bud Light. Were, were the international length triathlons, okay, or Olympic length, okay. So, okay. So carbohydrate loading, best used for prolonged events where you're going to be taxing those muscle glycogen stores. Um, tapering our training, slightly altering the diet for the first couple of days, and then. Uh, as you continue to taper, reduced amount of exercise, we're getting more high carbohydrate. Okay? Now, what do you eat before you exercise? If, if you're gonna, is, is it a good idea if you're going to be doing, say, a marathon, is it a good idea just to not eat beforehand? No. Because what happens if you, what, uh, what does it affect if you don't eat for eight or ten hours as far as your carbohydrate stores. Is that going to affect your muscle glycogen much? Uh, what, what mostly affects muscle glycogen? What kind of activity? Is it... It's going to be exercise or physical activity, right? If you're just sitting on the couch and not eating or you're laying in bed, you're sleeping for six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours what, what's going to be affected in terms of your carbohydrate stores? It's glycogen, liver. Okay, liver. Because all this time you're not eating, your liver's putting out glycogen, breaking down glycogen to put out glucose to keep your blood glucose up. Okay? So if we want to start this marathon and we want to make sure that our fuel tank is completely topped off, we want to eat. Right? Alright, so you want to eat you want to be stuffing it in right before the gun goes off? No, probably not, because a lot of people have gastrointestinal problems with food in their stomach when they run. We'll stay with the marathon example. So what do you want to do? A couple hours, two or three, depending on your own personal gastrointestinal uh, tolerance. Okay, two or three hours beforehand. So what do you want to eat? If, if you want to top off your carbohydrate stores, the majority of the food you eat should probably be carbohydrate, right? Okay, so that makes sense. Um, here's a concern. Here's, here's a, a blood glucose profile. Is this one glucose? Yes. Um, here's a timeline. So here's 90 minutes out here. If you eat a glucose meal... Your blood glucose goes up, and then it comes back down, and then it starts to stabilize right about where it was here. Okay, and for most people, that's going to be at around 90 minutes or so. So, if you're going to consume carbohydrate, for most people, it's probably better to do it either more than 90 minutes, or within this first, within this 15 minutes or so. Okay, so let's take this marathon example. A lot of marathons start relatively early in the morning. Okay? Six. Yeah. Six. The one that we're in starts at six o'clock in the morning. 
The ones you're going to do? Which one? The Disney franchise. Oh, cool. <laughs> Disney Marathon. Excellent. Okay, well, that's... Half. It's a half. Yeah. Oh, half. Okay, well... All right, so race time's early. So let's, let's say probably more normal is 7 or 7.30. So you want to eat at least 90 minutes or so beforehand. Um, so you need to get up. You need to wake up at least uh, and, and eat. Uh, what should you eat? What are, what are you going to eat? What are you guys going to eat? I don't know. Don't know. That's why you're taking this class, right? Yeah, okay. Okay, pardon? Could be Nutri-Grain bars. Could be oatmeal. Could be cereal. Could be a bagel, right? Something that is predominantly carbohydrate. And the thing is, it should be something that you are familiar with and the food that you're comfortable with, okay? And in fact, I would, I would uh, writing busily, um, I would make sure that you try this out beforehand, okay? Don't do this for the first time the morning of your race. When you're getting ready to do one of your long runs, like on the weekend, get up early, you know, eat what you're going to eat on race day so that you're used to it, okay? And, and, and you can choose foods that you're used to as long as it's not like a, you know, bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit from McDonald's because that's got about that much carbohydrate in it, okay? Um, all right, so predominantly carbohydrate. Then, and if you've done that about 90 minutes beforehand, your blood glucose is going to go up, it's going to come back down and stabilize, and you're going to be ready for the race, Okay, you've probably topped off your liver gly uh, glycogen stores. Then, if it's within a few minutes of the race starting, five, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 minutes of the race starting, you can certainly consume a sports drink or sports beverage because your glucose will start going back up again, but the race is starting, so, so that's fine. Okay? Now, a um, good friend of mine was, was uh, training for the Nashville Marathon, which started at like 7 a.m., He's not a morning person at all. Uh, I was suggesting this to him. So for him, that meant waking up at 5 or 5.30 to eat something, which he was not thrilled about. And so what I talked to him about was just get something like a, you know, a power bar, cliff bar, something like that, and some fruit juice. Put it on the nightstand. Set your alarm for 5. Wake up enough to eat the power bar and drink the juice and go back to sleep. <laughs> You know, and then and then wake up at, at 7:50 and throw your shoes on and run downstairs. You know, run to the the start of the race. But anyway, so that's that's a kind of strategy you want to do and and practice it beforehand because you can train your gut just like you train your muscles. Okay? You can train your gut to to handle some of this carbohydrate while you're exercising. All right, everybody okay with with this as the pre-event meal? Now. This doesn't necessarily have to apply to every sport. I was watching the Olympics, not this most recent one, Beijing, but a couple of Olympics ago, and the um, commentators were making a big deal out of this athlete about how she was, um, uh, had eaten a Big Mac as her pre-event meal, and, and she won a gold medal, and he was kind of making, a, you know, making light of, of sports nutrition. Oh, well, I guess it doesn't really matter what you eat. Well, this female swimmer, her event was the 100 meters, okay? For an Olympic-level female swimmer, how fast does that race get over? 100 meters, swimming. Less than a minute, okay? So does it really matter what she ate beforehand? No. In her case, she was in a foreign country at her first Olympics. Uh, for her, that Big Mac was probably more comfort food, okay? <laughs> 
and was more psychological than had anything to do with her physiology. Okay? However, if this was a, a female marathoner, that would have been a problem. Eating a Big Mac 90 minutes beforehand before the marathon probably would not a good idea. Okay, so make sure you understand that these manipulations apply to certain athletes in certain situations. Okay, so pre-event meal. Uh, this is just the insulin that goes along with it, so that just shows you the glycemic response. You said bananas were high in carbs as well? Oh yeah, bananas are high carbohydrate foods, definitely. Almost 100%. Okay, uh, now, no matter how much glycogen you pack in your muscles, no matter how much glycogen you pack in your liver, if you are exercising at this intensity for long enough, your muscle glycogen is going to go down, your liver glycogen is going to go down, and eventually your blood glucose is going to start going down. So what you have to consider then is some way of trying to uh, supplement your carbohydrate it's sort of like in-flight refueling, okay? So during the event, you've got to have some way of getting carbohydrates on board because you're going to run out if you go long enough. So uh, this is one of the all-time classic studies where they took uh, some cyclists. Uh, they had them get on a cyclergometer in the lab and ride as long as they could at a, at a uh, kind of a race pace intensity. They had them, uh, they looked at their muscle glycogen levels, and after two hours, they did a muscle biopsy and looked at how far their glycogen had gone down. And it, and it had gone down to here. They put them back on, they rode for another hour, it went down further. And at this point, when they were getting nothing but a uh, non caloric, like flavored beverage, like Crystal Light or something like that, uh, their muscle glycogens had gotten low enough, they put them back on the bike and they were not able to continue. They were exhausted, fatigued, so they had to stop. They had them come back and do this trial a different time, but this time they gave them a carbohydrate beverage, a sports drink. And their muscle glycogens went down exactly in the same pattern. But this time, instead of being fatigued, they got back on the bike and they were able to ride for an additional hour at that same intensity. Now their muscle glycogens were really low, so the carbohydrate source that they were able to depend on to ride at that intensity was from the sports drink. Okay? So this is one of the classic studies that shows us that consuming a sports beverage during this activity helps improve performance. Now this study doesn't really mimic racing very well because it puts people on a bike in the lab and says ride at this intensity as long as you can ride until you just finally are fatigued. Okay? Well we kind of thought maybe that wasn't the way to do it. Uh, we decided to do a similar type study except this was a time trial. We set them up so that they, uh, they ran for 90 minutes but then at the end of the 90 minutes, we gave them 10 kilometers on the treadmill to cover as fast as they could. So the idea was sort of like running a marathon where you run at an even pace as long as you can, and then when you feel like you're getting close to the finish, you try to finish as strong as you can. So that's what we did. Uh, what we found is when they got the placebo, they finished the 10K at the end of that run in about 47 and a half minutes. When they got the carbohydrate drink, the beverage, like Gatorade, 
they finished almost a minute and a half faster. Okay, so in-flight refueling makes a difference in long endurance events. They didn't just suddenly get faster. What happens is they were able, um, let's see, was this mile split times? Okay, uh, the, the, the dark bars are the carbohydrate, so they were basically able to maintain their pace to the finish. When the people got the placebo, they were not getting any carbohydrate. Basically, they got slower and slower and slower. They started to hit the wall and slow down, whereas when they got the sports drink, they were able to maintain their pace all the way to the finish line. Okay? So, drinking Gatorade or Powerade or some other sports drink during the exercise doesn't suddenly make you faster. It just keeps up the carbohydrate delivery so you can keep your pace going, hopefully until you get to the finish line. Okay? Um, how much should you drink and what kind? Somewhere in the neighborhood of a, uh, well, first of all, these beverages should be less than about 10% carbohydrate. Now, now, what does that mean? It means for every 100 milliliters of the fluid, you should have 10 grams of carbohydrate or less. All right, Gatorade has about 6 grams of carbohydrate for every 100 milliliters. It's about a 6% solution. Powerade, you've seen the commercials? 33% uh, more carbs, right, in Powerade. That's because it has 8 grams of carbohydrate for every 100 milliliters of fluid. So if you've got Gatorade and Powerade and you want to get the same amount of carbohydrate, what do you do with Gatorade? Just drink a little bit more. Okay? So there's, there's lots of marketing and lots of advertising wars, but I can tell you, and people ask me all the time, what, what sports drink should I use? And my response is, which one do you like? Okay? Oh, but we're a, we're a we're a Coke town. You're supposed to like Powerade. It's whichever one you like, okay? Uh, between those two major brands, there's very little difference in the formulation, okay? So literally, it depends on what, which flavor you, know, you, you prefer. If you're getting ready to do a race, a long endurance event, I would make sure you check, go on their website, and find out what product they're going to have on the course, though, okay? Because you want to find out, because in a long race like that, a marathon or a half marathon, unless you're going to have somebody going along with you, you know, or meeting you at different spots, you're going to have to depend on what the, the race provides. And what you want to do is make sure that you do some of your training with that beverage, okay? Just so to make sure that you're used to it because your gastrointestinal tract is trainable. And if you don't train it, you will have some gastrointestinal problems. Um, marketing, <laughs> vitamin water, okay, it's marketing. In this country, you know, we eat so many calories that we, we probably have the slightest chance of being vitamin deficient of any country in the world. And, and yet we, we've been sold the necessity to consume vitamins in a, in a beverage, okay. 
Um, for people, you know, the, 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 this is a whole. Um, well, first of all, I w until five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, I would have I would have called you an absolute liar if you would have told me that you would have paid three dollars and fifty cents for a bottle of water. Okay. Which, you know, if you go to a sporting event or something like that, you go to a Braves game, you, they have water fountains. Uh, these, these guys will probably tell you I'm horrible about this because we will we'll take in a bottle of water, but then I make them go to the water fountain and, and refill it, okay? Because guess where Coke gets the water that they put in these bottles? From the tap. They get them from your, your municipal water supply, okay? All right, so these things, basically the idea is... Um, when somebody who's who's participating in just recreational exercising, are they using some of their carbohydrate stores? Yes, absolutely. Um, do they need a full carbohydrate replenishment uh, uh, drink or beverage? No. So what they've, you know, I mean, all you got to do is just eat your normal food and, and drink water for rehydration. But what they've done is they've sold us on this idea of, well, you know, there's so much obesity in the country that maybe we shouldn't selling them full-strength Gatorade or Powerade. So instead, we'll come up with Propel and, you know, these, it's got a little bit of carbohydrate in it for flavor and to give you some carbohydrate recovery. But, you know, it's, you'd be just as well off eating a banana and drinking water. And so it's, it's, it's a marketing category. Two questions. Uh, wouldn't you be better off if you're going to run a marathon or a half marathon to, to actually have the uh, gel packs with you so then you know exactly what it is that you're Okay, gel packs. Yeah, good example. And also, uh, have you heard of this, uh, like this oxygenated enriched water? It is expensive. Smart water. I don't know why. No, it's no, not even smart water. The shuttle Pretty much the sole purpose of that product is to put your money into somebody else's pocket. Okay? And, and you, you all need to be good. You know, you, um, you're, you're learning some of these basic principles, you know, of, of physiology and exercise physiology. And, and what you're going to need to be able to do is look at some of these marketing campaigns um, and, and be good consumers and also be good advocates for your clients and people that you're going to be working with when you've finished your degree or that you're working with now. Because it, it is, it, there is a marketing tidal wave out there you know, of stuff that they're trying to sell people. And you got to be able to sort of penetrate the, the marketing hype. I, I got sent one yesterday. Uh, one of my former master's students works for, he's the science and, and uh, education coordinator for USA Cycling. So he sent me one. This guy was trying to get USA Cycling to buy in on this. And it's some device that you, when you breathe in, it magnetizes the oxygen. Uh, so it helps the oxygen uh, be in a magnetized state as it uh, flows through the body and it, and it has all of these uh, proclaimed benefits. And, uh, of course, I sent him back and I said, well, I see a problem with that because if you get all this magnetized oxygen and you're out running or cycling, you know, you might, you might like, get stuck to metal objects, you know, if, if you get enough of this magnetized oxygen in you. But, um, 
So you, you got to bust through some of this, this hype. Um, we'll talk about it in the pulmonary section, but let me tell you what. Your lungs do a pretty dang good job of oxygenating your blood. You don't need to drink it any extra oxygen in the water because your lungs do just a perfectly fine job on their own. Okay? So um, you don't need vitamins in the water that you drink. You know, you don't, you don't need oxygen in the water that you drink. A lot of them you're peeing out anyways. They're water-soluble. You can only store so much in your body. And the, the, common, the common term there is that Americans have the most expensive urine in the world. Okay? Smart water is just electrolyzed. It's not any carbs. Yeah. I can't remember smart water. I can't. Is it electrolytes? Yeah. And, and, if, and if you consume a reasonably, reasonably balanced diet, you're probably getting a sufficient amount of uh, electrolytes or minerals in your diet anyway. If you're really worried about it, you know, if you're really worried about your vitamin and mineral intake, one little small multivitamin a day will cover you just fine. Okay, inexpensive, buy the generic versions or the, you know, the, the Flintstone vitamins. Um, okay, how am I doing on time here? I didn't bring my watch today. Who's, what's that? Is it 2? 2 o'clock? Pardon? 1.51? I got plenty of time. Yeah, it's down the hall. Um, Patrick, would you go with him, please? Thank you. Oh, gels, thank you. Yes, he got me so riled up with his second question, I forgot the first one. Okay, gel packs. Um, the, the, the gel packs, the cliff shots, the, the power gels, those things, basically, basically all it is is it's carbohydrate in a more concentrated form, kind of like pudding or, or in a gel-type form, and, and they are perfectly fine. In fact, we've done a study also, you know, so I've got up here gel or solid, you know, uh, well, solids are like power bars, cliff bars, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of cyclists, uh, because of the nature of cycling, can do okay with solid food because you have times where you can coast and you can chew and swallow. A lot of runners don't like solid food because it's hard to chew as you're still running. And so they sort of came up with this notion, these, these gel packets. Um, and uh, the gel packets are absolutely fine. You know, you, in fact, they even sell belts now that have little pouches or pockets in them where you can carry your own gel packets. And, and that's perfectly fine because that way you know exactly what you're getting. If you like these things, if you find a flavor you like, so that way you can run along, you can rip the top off, squeeze the carbohydrate in, and then all you need on the course is water. You can just drink water and that helps, you know, uh, 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 helps you get it down and helps you mix up the carbohydrate in your stomach. So that, no problem with gel packets. Uh, the only problem I've had with gel packets, my wife has run the Chicago Marathon twice and the first time, well both times, I was taking the Chicago Public Transit to different spots on the, the, the course to, to see or go by and I had the misfortune of finding her at one of the spots right by where cliff, uh, the cliff shots, they were handing these things out. And so the runners were ripping the tops off, squirting them, and throwing them on the ground. And the Chicago Marathon has about, I don't know, something like 20,000 people run this marathon. So the next half a mile after this, this gel stop was like the biggest, gooey, slimiest mess. I mean, literally, runners were like sliding in the stuff because it was all over the road. But uh, if you can actually get it in you, the gels are perfectly fine. Okay. Uh, 
But again, same thing applies to GI training, is you got to make sure that you're, you practice with it and uh, try to make sure that you are uh, comfortable with the flavor, the taste, the, you know, all that stuff. Um, how much? You probably want to practice with this. You want to get somewhere between a half to one gram of carbohydrate for each kilogram of your body weight every hour. Okay, so you look at the, you know, the, the race that you're going to do, a half marathon, you figure out about, well, how, far, how long do I think it's going to take me? And then you look at uh, how much carbohydrate you want to uh, consume based on your body weight. I will tell you, the one gram per kilogram body weight is the upper end, and a lot of people have some gastrointestinal problem with that much carbohydrate. Okay, so, you know, you may... You may want to uh, experiment a little bit, and in training runs, you got to try it out and practice with it, and make sure you can, you know, your your stomach can handle the carbohydrate. But it will keep up the carbohydrate delivery, keeps the blood glucose up, keeps up the carbohydrate substrate, so that you can metabolize carbohydrate for to to maintain that running intensity. Okay. Um, if you want, we can, we can use you guys as like a little uh, test case to, to show for a half marathon about how much would this be. You guys find out what uh, beverage they're going to have on the course, and we'll figure it out for that beverage. Okay? okay? Cool. Okay. Um, we've, we've taken care of carbohydrate in the diet during the training. We've taken care of muscle glycogen by manipulating it and trying to get as much in there before the race as we can. We've taken care of liver glycogen by making sure that we address the pre-event meal. And then during the event itself, we've made sure that we get some in-flight refueling so we get plenty of carbohydrate. All right, so now we've finished the event and uh, we need to think about replacing or replenishing these carbohydrate stores. Now, if you're Running one marathon a year, replacing the carbohydrate really quickly is probably not a big deal. Okay, you got plenty of time to, you know, you got plenty of time to do it. But if you're engaged in other kind of athletic events, like let's say a soccer tournament over a weekend, where you may be running back and forth for 90 minutes, and then you get a few hours of rest, and then you got another another match later. Okay. Um, or you know uh, similar types of events where you you've got back to back to back events. Any one event wouldn't deplete you, but if you didn't get replenished adequately, the cumulative events might be bad. Okay, so we want to replenish as quickly as possible. Um, two things, two things really stimulate muscle glycogen synthesis. When we deplete glycogen that strongly stimulates the body to resynthesize it. Okay? When we deplete glycogen, in essence, it switches on the enzyme machinery that makes us want to resynthesize it. The second thing is insulin. Insulin is, as a hormone will help stimulate, again, that, that enzyme process to resynthesize glycogen. Okay, so we know how we deplete muscle glycogen, we exercise, right? So when you exercise and push your glycogen down, 
That stimulates the resynthesis. How do we get insulins up? Eat. eat. And what do we eat? Sure. Carbohydrate. Okay? So when you eat carbohydrate, that causes your blood glucose to go up and it causes your insulins to go up and that helps stimulate muscle glycogen resynthesis. So what that tells us is after exercise, when, when muscle glycogen is down, as soon as possible, we want to rest and consume carbohydrate. Okay? Because it's a, uh, there's a prime window, there's a prime window for resynthesizing our carbohydrate stores. And it happens pretty close to the time after we finish exercise. The longer you wait to get carbohydrate in, the slower the process of resynthesizing the glycogen. Um, I'm going to skip over that one and that one and that one and jump to here. Uh, you, you basically want to get carbohydrate in you within about, with the, the window's about two hours. Okay? So after you finish this workout or race or whatever it is or soccer match or whatever, you want to get carbohydrate in you with, within about two hours. The sooner the better. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a sports drink. It doesn't matter if you're eating carbohydrate food like bananas or, you know, what other, other kind of carbohydrate food, liquid or solid, doesn't matter. A lot of times after a really long endurance event, you know, people are thirsty, so drinking is fine, and also people are hungry, so eating, eating regular food is fine. Um, the type of carbohydrate does make a little bit of difference in that you want to orient more towards glucose or high glycemic index foods because that makes your glucose go higher and your insulin go higher. Okay? And it is better to do small frequent feedings over a couple of hours than it is to sit down and hog down a huge bowl of something. Okay? <laughs> that's okay, but uh, that's okay. Unless you're planning on running another half marathon the next day. So that's fine. Um, and then this just gives you an idea of the amount. Anywhere from about three quarters to about one and a half grams of carbohydrate for every kilogram of the person's body weight every hour. Now, this is a lot of carbohydrate. This is a based on a study we did where we did exhaustive exercise and we did some exercise to make the person sore, you know, to mimic that kind of muscle soreness that you get, the stiffness and soreness. And we found out that you can still replace muscle glycogen pretty quickly, but you've got to give them lots of carbohydrate. And so, so what it does is it, the, the frequent meals gets the glucose up higher. Small frequent meals gets glucose up higher and it gets insulin up higher. So we synthesize more glycogen. Okay? All right. Um, and let me just give you a quick story. Some, some, uh, one of the companies I was working with uh, in Columbus, Ohio, uh, that made sports beverages, they were doing some stuff with uh, NHL hockey. And so with several of the teams, what they did is they worked out with the trainers a strategy so that when the... The, the, the players came in off the ice at the end of the game. Essentially, they were all given, you know, a, a certain amount per individual. 
of a high carbohydrate beverage that their, the team rule was you had to drink this first. Okay? Once you got this down, that got the carbohydrate in you, started the glycogen resynthesis process. Once you did that, then you could have a beer, go out for a steak, you know, do whatever. But at least it got the carbohydrate in them and got the replenishment process going. Okay? So that's sort of the, the strategy there. Okay. Um, this is just a table that kind of summarizes those different points and amounts. Questions about manipulating carbohydrates. Is it, does every athlete have to do it? No. Mostly endurance athletes, longer term endurance athletes, okay? But carbohydrate manipulation can help them store more carbohydrate on board, get more carbohydrate in them during the event, and help improve their performance. Okay? Of all the ergogenic strategies, you now we've talked about, uh, and believe me, the companies like uh, Coke, Powerade, uh, uh, Gatorade, these folks have put lots of money into research, and the research very, very consistently shows that one of the ways that you can improve endurance performance is by manipulating carbohydrates. Okay? All right, good deal. That's it. We'll see everybody on uh, Thursday. How would you get what you go into, like, um, what we talked about today on the test?